This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tide Chasers podcast. I am going to be your solo host today. It's me, Dan. I have a very exciting guest today who I've been I've known for quite some time. We are going to be talking winter snake snakehead fishing tactics. But first, a few ways you can find us. We are on Facebook, Tide Chasers Podcast. You can also find us at Tide underscore Chasers on Instagram. In our bios, we have lists of all of our podcast entries where we're located. We're on Apple. We're on uh, we're on Pandora. We're on iHeartRadio. Then we're also on Waypoint TV, which is an exciting one for us too. But without further ado, I'd like to in, introduce everybody to my friend, Stephen Camboris. You may know him as Cambo Trout. Welcome, Steve. How you doing, brother? Hey, doing good, dude. Thanks for the invite, man. Of course, man. Hey, listen, I'm super excited to talk to you about this because I don't know many people that do this better than you do. So it, I'm excited, exciting. too, dude, because when it comes to talking snakehead, man. I know it's your, I know it's ask me a question. I'm, I'm going to be there. <laughs> I know it's probably a second love for you right behind your family, I would say. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She, 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 yes. Okay. Say it loud enough. Say it loud enough. So they can hear you All right, Steve. So obviously you were one of the more well-respected snakehead anglers that I know. What, what got you started in the snakehead fishing world? I remember finding you many years ago and some of your catch and cook videos with your kids and your wife. And it really, it really got me to feel like I knew you and knew the family man you were. And then obviously your videos are incredible. So why don't, why don't you give us a little idea of how you got started and, and when that when that yeah. passion started? So, I mean, I actually started my channel uh, way back when, probably around 2012, 2010, 2012, when I was down in Georgia. That was my last duty assignment when I was still. And when I was down there, you know, I was really doing the smallmouth fishing, striper, you know, the, the things I grew up doing. And I was having a great time. But my wife got accepted to the MD PhD program up here at University of Maryland, which brought us back to Maryland. You know, I was born and raised in Maryland, 
I fished for the striper, the bass, the trout, crappie, everything I've always fished as soon as I got back. That's what I did. And then in the fall, I want to say of 2017, I went out to Blackwater for the first time. And the, literally the first snakehead I caught, I caught on a three-inch gulp minnow, literally hanging off the side of my kayak in a rod holder. <laughs> and I mean, that day I caught probably four or five more, and I've really been hooked ever since. It's the thing that sna with, with snakehead that really get me is probably the unpredictability and the struggle of catching them. Because I, I love a challenge, you know, like whether it's working out, you know, being in the outdoors, fishing, whatever it is, I love a challenge. And when it comes to snakehead, it doesn't get much more challenging because you never know what they're going to do. You never know what they're going to want. But probably most especially when it comes to what they call the snakehead freakout. Other fish, when you take them out of the water, they start to become really incoherent because they're being oxygen deprived. Snakehead can breathe atmospheric oxygen. So when they're out of the water, they're fully, they're, they're, their capacity is there. Like they're just plotting an escape route. That's what they're doing. And all of a sudden, they could freak out. You could lose them, your lip grippers, anything you don't have tied down or have a float on in the boat, you could lose it. So when it comes to that, when it comes to that signature snakehead pop sound they make when they pop a topwater lure, the first couple of times you hear that, after that, you'll go to bed that night dreaming about that. You know, there's so many positive qualities about snakehead, but more than anything else, it's probably that snakehead pop. And then the way that they struggle and just completely catch you off guard and wreck your gear. And I oh. love that challenge. Oh, for sure. I, I had a recent trip out where I, my first time on, on the, my kayak targeting snakeheads and it, it's wild. I mean, you, it, it's sad because you know, when you miss one, cause the, the telltale bubbles are back there and you're like, damn, there was one oh. there. There was one there. I'm, I'm not sure if he'll come back to play, but yeah, like I've been fishing for them for years and years and years now. And like the, the idea of fishing on them from my kayak scared me because I've seen all of your videos and the nuts, the craziness that happens on the kayaks. Yeah, and, I love and it. It's just, it's just wild. I I'm like, when I get into the net, I'm like, okay, what do I do now? What do I do now? Fortunately I was fishing in like eight inches of water. So I, I, <laughs> I was pretty much sitting my kayak on the bottom of, this, of the dirt there, but yeah, it's wild, man. They just go nuts. They just go nuts. And that pop. Yeah, I, I mean, if I have to recommend to any, I mean, don't get me wrong, catching them any kind of way is fun. Whether you're in a boat, from shore, wade, fishing, I don't care. It's fun. But if you ask me the, the most fun way to catch them, it's going to be the kayak. The places you can get to, the ambiance of the nature, the way you can lose yourself in the environment, just be immersed in it, and then deal with that just complete chaos when you finally hook one and you're trying to handle that fish. Yeah, that's my top recommended way to chase them is in the kayak. That was awesome, dude. Like when you got out on the water and you sent me all those pics, I was like, Yes, it was nuts, man. I, First I, trip I had, on the kayak and it's a banner day. I, I, I think last year I had three double digit fish all year and I get three double digits in like within 10 minutes. I'm on the phone with Trung, who's uh, been on our, <laughs> our show. American <laughs> and uh, I'm talking to him. I'm like, dude, you won't even believe it. I just got a nice I got like a 12 pound fish on, on one of your lures. And then I'm working another fish while I'm talking. to him. I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. I got another one coming. I caught three double digit fish within 10 yep. minutes. It was wild. That's freaking awesome, dude. Yeah, it's freaking awesome. I gotta go. I gotta go right now because <laughs> if you keep your phone out in the kayak and try to handle a phone call when you're like handling a snakehead, you you're taking what? Looking at the cost of iPhones nowadays, you're taking like a and and hoping to God the snakehead doesn't just knock it over the over the edge of the kayak, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well. 
that's what this comes in handy for this apple watch where you can take phone calls from the apple watch so i'm sitting there with one rod rod in one hand i'm doing this (laughs) (laughs) chung's like okay okay i'll let you go i'll let you go so it it was fun (laughs) and then i call him back and i sent some pictures that i didn't post and all that good stuff and it was just it was amazing It, it, it i exceeded my expectations for the kayak fishing for snakeheads so but yeah so now getting back to you a little bit now i remember mm-hmm. early on you loved eating snakeheads and it was yeah. a, it was a big part of your your family's uh uh nutrition i would say part of the things that you do you harvest some fish yep. and then there was a there was a a distinct shift to being an advocate to the snakehead so give me a little bit idea how that came about and what caused you to make a change for you and your oh, family yeah. so what it really came down to is i, I came back to maryland and for those of you who don't know, I work at the American Fishery Society, and that's essentially the nation's largest nonprofit dedicated to fisheries management. So all of your fisheries managers from state agencies, federal agencies, your educators in your like higher learning institutions, undergraduate, graduate school work, all those fisheries biologists, that's who our member kind of clientele is, and kind of a trade association. And, but because of the virtue of me working there, because of me in that position, you know, I'm friends with the editor at AFS. So anytime new fisheries publications come in, I'm exposed to them. So I, I, I love I love that because it keeps me, as long as, I, as long as I have the time, it keeps me up to date on the most recent science coming out there. So I started like most snakehead fishermen do. And that's when you're told that snakehead are invasive. They're likely going to kill and destroy everything in any ecosystem they go into. So do your part. And, you know, if you've seen that scene, like scene in Stormship Troopers, I'm doing my part, you know, kind of what it reminds me of. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to be too flippant about invasive species because there are some out there that are, you know, really detrimental. But what I came to see over time is that I was fishing all these areas for snakehead and I was catching bass and I was catching perch and I was catching a crap, you know, I was catching all these different species. And after a while, my personal experience wasn't really lining up with what I'd been told over time. So I started digging into the science, and that's when I came across the work of John Odenkirk. If you're not familiar with John Odenkirk, he's with the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries, and he's really been studying snakehead since the beginning. I I mean, down in Virginia waters, the Potomac River Basin, he's been there pretty much since the beginning. And what he's found, and he's got multiple peer-reviewed studies out there, is that they really haven't seen any invasive impact from snakehead. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some indications of invasive impact elsewhere. And, but thus far, peer-reviewed publications go, there still isn't evidence of invasive impact. So what, a point I arrived at is, like, I guess the other part of it is that when you fish for these fish, at least for me, I grew to love them. I really did. It's like people hear the word snakehead, big teeth, scary. I'm like, no, that's a challenging fish. That, that's like a hard-charging, just predator whose ability to survive and drive to survive and is just so admirable, their capacity as parents, over time, the fish itself grew up. There's no two ways about it. So that played a factor as well. So where I'm at today is that, like, I do still harvest snakehead, but do I release more than I eat? Oh, absolutely. Now, are they a great eating fish? They're probably the best eating fish in freshwater, maybe the best eating fish anywhere in Maryland. You know, we, we can argue that point all day. For but sure. Great, great eating fish from the firmness of the meat to the amount of meat you get off one fish, like their meat to body ratio is excellent. But to answer your question, you know, why did I start releasing more of the fish? I dug into the science. I, this, what I found in the peer reviewed science didn't match what I'd been told. And then the species itself just really began to grow on. 
I think they're a truly admirable species from their sport fishing qualities to their capacity as parents and just their incredible drive to survive and expand their range and everything else. They're just an incredibly well-adapted, incredibly resilient species. Just uh, I totally agree. Totally agree. And I'm in the same boat with you. I, I've released thousands compared to the, the few that I, I, I keep. And I'm at, I'm at a crossroads because I don't want to buy fish. You know what I mean? So yeah. my, my family digs snakeheads. So there will be times where I'll harvest some from time to time. But for the most part, I release more than I, more than I will ever, ever keep. And it's just, it's just one of those things. I, like you, you know, I fell in love with the fish. And then you and I, we've had a lot of early morning, late night conversations about them, all the different <laughs> science we read and everything. It's like, it's like, yeah, you, 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 you're at a crossroads, right? So you, you have friends that are on both sides of the fence. I have friends that are on both sides of the fence and you're often feel like you're being pushed and pulled in one direction and you got to make your own decisions, what makes sense for you. And that's how, that's how you are. That's how I am. Yep. Now, one of the things that I've noticed is that you're really advocating hard for the fish to become a game fish at some point. At what point will you feel that you're satisfied in that that mark because i don't think we'll ever see that happen probably you know there's just too much no. politics there's too much and, and we were talking we, we we had a conversation uh, about this on a striped bass uh thing that you posted a link that you posted today where they are mm -hmm. the ultimate scapegoat for everything that goes wrong everywhere in the bay and the rivers and the creeks and everything else so yes. when will you feel satisfied i mean obviously i don't think in our lifetimes we'll see them be a game fish i'm hopeful no but no, and, and I mean, when you get into the different titles of like, but what do I mean by sport fish or game fish? Like some, with some of those you have, those are official titles and they have very specific regulatory requirements attached to them. Like the thing that I would probably like to see, and I'll put a caveat on this, I'm gonna put a caveat on this in a minute. But the thing I'd probably like to see is eventually is really just kind of a creel limit. But like, if you wanna really test whether, like how well you understand an issue, one thing you want to be able to do is argue from the other point of view, because that, that's how you know you're getting to a point that you're really understanding what all the issues at play. So for a second here, I'll, I'll make the point from the other like opposing view. From, from the perspective of caution, when it comes to a new novel species like snakehead, one thing you have to do is you do have to give time for the scientific literature to develop. And that can take decades. Like, for instance, the Virginia Department of Game Inland Fisheries they actually originally stocked blue catfish down in Virginia. That's how they got there. That was part of an official stocking program, but they stopped them because essentially from all the habitat destruction and pollution, we had killed almost all the native species in the water. Over harvest, you know, you name the, the man-made impact. Most of the native species were gone. So they were looking for a sport fish. So they introduced blue catfish. It took decades, but eventually we're at where we're at now, where we know that blue cats are having a massive invasive impact and they're making their way into the bay and everything else. So when it comes to snakehead, I understand the point of view that it's too early to regulate the species as a resource. I, I completely understand that viewpoint because from their perspective, we don't know fully what, you know, we're still in a place where a lot of rivers, a lot of tributaries to the bay are still kind of in the initial invasion phase of snakehead. And if you study, like it's called an invasion dynamics, it's, it's part of what they study in fisheries biology when looking at a novel species, like an invasive species being introduced. It's a whole subject of study. So when will I be satisfied? I think that I would be satisfied when there is a creel limit. Do I expect it to happen within a decade? No. Within two decades, maybe. Because here's, here's my hope. Here's my hope. 
the kids who are growing up now, like I think about myself back when I was like a young teenager, just fishing every chance I got. Like those kids out there who are fishing these waters now are growing up with snakehead. Yeah. They're, and they're going to grow up to appreciate them. They're going to grow up seeing them as another fish in the waterways. They're going to grow up eating them, catching them. And to them, it's going to be normal because that's kind of human nature. If you consider it to be normal, whatever is in your environment you're, when you're born into it. And anything that changes, valid, that's a deviation. And now we got a really big issue. Sure. That, that's part of the psychology that plays into the divide between, you know, the two different opposing forces on the great snakehead debate. So I think I'd be happy when there's a career limit, but I'm also, I want to be clear, I'm also open to the argument that we need to wait and see what happens and make sure that there isn't going to be, you know, some type of really kind of bad invasive impact that is exposed later on. So I think that answers the question. And I think there's good arguments on both sides of the fence. That's my honest answer. I, I totally agree with you. And you kind of see, and not just with snakeheads, but there's like a, 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 a line drawn in the sand between this generation of anglers coming up compared to the past generations. It's like yeah. this generation of anglers want to save a lot of these fisheries more so than beat them to death by harvesting everything. I'm no. not going to say that speaks for everyone, but you can see a distinct difference between the two. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I know me, I'm, I, I could be considered on one or the other, but I'm teaching my kids the way that I believe. And yeah. I know early on, like when, I don't know, four or five years ago, we had a group of guys that were like fighting and advocating for these fish everywhere we went. Like we would see news stories. We would try and talk to these reporters. Yep. We would try and get, you know, our side of the story out. Nobody would have it. You know, we have places up here where there's impoundments that are, that have snakeheads and they are putting their own limits in these impoundments that are saying that they must be killed. They cannot be released period. And they're putting oh, really? their own special regulations. Yes. Yeah. Ugh. And, and we, we, we've attempted to have conversations with these people and they shut it, these people and they shut it down. You know, they have the one place I'm talking about in particular is going to be John Hines wildlife refuge in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. very well-known snakehead spot. And honestly, there's not much there else other than bird watching. So, you know, we've, we've pleaded with these people like, Hey, why don't you consider some other science? You know, you have your biologist here. Does she have any data to support your decision to kill all these fish? And they, they can never come back with anything. Yeah. So it's, it's just frustrating because we, we were, we were like really pounding hard at these people that are making these decisions based off of nothing. And, you know, we, we, we fought, we fought, we fought, and it just got to the point where our voices weren't being heard. So, you know, it, it got to the point where I got, I, I got tired of fighting the fight and I just, yeah. I just, I started moving on and, and trying to educate one person at a time. Cause it's easier to do one person at a time than it is to, to, to the masses. You know, if you can change one person's mind a week, then that's, that's the way to go. And I always, I'm, I'm always advocating for snakeheads. I do a lot quieter now because yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things as I'm getting older, I don't want to fight these battles. I just want to enjoy my time on the water. Brother, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Cause I, I mean, it, it's like, I, I know that, you know, on the kind of the social media scene, YouTube, Facebook, I'm kind of a strong advocate for the species, but like, honestly, I hear you dude, because it's like, you get tired. Like, you, you awesome. get, especially when you're not like, sometimes you can have a reasoned debate and you, you present evidence and you, you know, you have that kind of relationship back and forth. You have a mutual respect. That's not so bad, you know, but when you're on there and you just have people who are repeating talking points that they haven't looked into, that they haven't, they, like, they don't know the data, that they haven't researched it, not really, you know, they're just repeating things that they've heard, but they've, they've internalized it like at, at a really passionate, serious level. 
you know, it, like, like, and like I said, it, I could make the strong case against snakehead. I could do it. You sure. know, there's logical reasons to encourage harvest and even maximal harvest, at least for the foreseeable, foreseeable future. But when it, am I going to advocate for the species? Yes, because the species is not going anywhere. Like they're not going anywhere. And well, I don't think we'll ever eradicate them. Like unless you have them in, in a body of water that's not connected to any waterways. And then you want to take something like rotenone and then just bomb the essentially the whole body of water, kill everything in it to get the snakehead out. And even, even then when you do that, whether by man-made introduction, the incredible instinct snakehead have to like expand their range. I don't know if it's worth the time or, or the money, like to be completely honest, because you're not going to get rid of them. It's really just a question of the quality of the fishery and how much we want to utilize them and manage them as a resource as opposed to a nuisance species. And I think there's a lot, a lot of potential as a sport fish and to utilize them as a resource. And that's why I advocate the way I do. Yeah, I've always, I've always been curious as to the way that Maryland sets up their fisheries. You know, you have the striped bass fishery, for example, that's in dire shape, I would say. I mean, we, yes. we, we saw that post today with the numbers and it's just, it's sickening. It really is. It's sad because I want, I want my kids, my son to be able to fish for these big fish. And I, I'm not confident they'll be around when he's, when he's old enough to do so. It's sad. It really is. And if Maryland did it the right way, they could kind of advocate for the snakeheads to take some of the pressure off the, the destroyed bass, the rockfish, but they, 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 it's, it's, it's truly mind boggling where these decisions come from. And you know, it's more politics and money and everything else that's involved. That's it's exactly. It really is. It's exactly what it is. And uh, it, you know, it's just, you feel like you're always fighting an uphill battle. Yes. Right. And I know you, you're one of the, the more vocal people about it. So I, I understand it. And I was that way years ago and I just got, I just got worn down. You know, I still, like I said, I still try and make a difference where I can. And it happens. Like I'll take people out fishing with me. Have you caught one? Because a lot of people have opinions based off of nothing, never catching one. And then they catch one. And it's like, wow, I got to do that again. I got to get another one of those. I got to get exactly. a bigger one of those. It's, it's exactly. I've changed minds that way. So it's, it's, you know, it's just one of those things where I just urge people to be a little bit more open-minded. Yeah. And speaking of that, you, you do some, some of these speaking engagements regarding snakeheads and you do some, uh, some uh, talking points and everything. Do you have any of those engagements coming up anytime soon? Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I just did one out at the Kent Islands Fisherman Club. That was October 6th. My next one's going to be October 19th at the Essex Middle River Fishing Club over at Commodore Hall. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I always have fun going out and teaching people about snakehead. You know, I, I have various different seminars. Some are geared towards like an introduction to snakehead. Some are geared towards like certain times of year, how to fish them, different presentations, techniques. But I, I love it. You know, at heart, I'm a teacher, you know, from the military till now that that's that's really what I've always loved doing. I, I homeschool my kids for the first, you know, probably about four or five years of their lives as well. Or, you know, school lives, put it that way. And I love to teach, man. And it's, I started this channel, like my YouTube channel and everything, because I'm passionate about fishing. I'm passionate about the outdoors. I was lucky enough to have parents who familiarized me and introduced me to the outdoors and taught me different skills. Not everyone has to. So if I can help get people into the outdoors and help them enjoy it, then that's what I'm about, especially because I know that the more people enjoy it, the higher likelihood there is that they'll fight to protect it. And that's, that's what I'm here for. Well, the reason why I asked that, everybody, is because this guy is actually basing his 
opinions on science. There's a lot of people out there that have science opinions that are not scientifically based. And if you want to learn more about snakeheads, I urge you to attend one of his seminars or just check into his, his uh, YouTube channel. He has some of his seminars on, on YouTube as well, some things he's done in the past. Please don't hesitate to check it out. We're going to plug his YouTube channel here a little bit. But I, I got to tell you that there's, there's probably not many people outside of fisheries biologists and things that are that are studying these fish every day of their lives that that have more knowledge and more real scientific facts on these fish than steve here so i gotta say i i lean i lean on you myself now i do you know you know i i read these studies and things too because we've talked about them ad nauseum so it's just i try to educate myself before i try to act like i know what i'm talking about and I don't know half of what you know. So I lean on you. You know, I'll, I'll come at you with some questions sometimes. So this is the guy to, to follow and to listen to. He is the guy. I promise you that. Now, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. We're going to talk about, you know, everybody loves the, the topwater fishing, the, you know, the early season, you know, uh, your subsurface with the soft plastics but, and everything. But winter fishing for snakeheads this wasn't something we knew about till fairly recently you know the fall winter fishery and we don't get it up here in the north but uh, maybe it's available i don't know i've i've caught them in march up here and i'm seeing them earlier and earlier with the warming climate so but you target them pretty pretty exclusively throughout the fall and winter maybe more so than other and other times give us a little idea like how you set up your day and what types of things you look for to get started like like, let's say you want to fish this weekend and you're looking for conditions that are going to set up well, and it may be 30 degrees out. What types of things are you looking for to set yourself up to get out on the water to target snakeheads? It's a great question. So once you're into the truly cold part of the year, so I'm, talk, I'm talking late fall and winter at this point. That's usually the time of year where you're going to start looking for your two to three day warm spells. Because even in the middle of winter, whether it be January, February, you may get a two or three day warming trend. The end of that two or three day warming trend, that's when you want to go snakehead fishing. Now, that's the weather aspect. And if the wind is low, all the better because high wind can make snakehead fishing absolutely miserable. I don't, I don't claim to know or understand exactly why the snakeheads seem to hate the wind. But by and large, I have not had good days fishing on windy days. Whether I'm using top water, subsurface, don't care. Now, it's not impossible to catch them, but just want to put that little tidbit out there. Now, I guess here's the other part, is that in Maryland, we do have a pretty decent winter fishery for snakehead. But with that being said, it's still slow. So I, I don't want to come out here and say like, yeah, you can fish for them in the winter and still catch, you know, your 10, 15, 20 fish days like you do any other time of the year. I haven't done that. But I have gone out in the middle of winter and I've caught snakehead. And the... I think one of the biggest factors is the body of water, the nature of the body of the water you're fishing. Because we usually when I fish in the winter for them, I'm going to a, an area like Blackwater or Blackwater itself down in Dorchester County, Maryland. And that's because most of that body of water is shallow. Mm-hmm. So, and the bottom is very dark. The bottom is just covered in detritus, just decaying leaves and other materials. So that dark bottom if you can get those two or three day warming spells, will absorb that sunlight and begin to warm faster than a lot of other waters out there. Also because it's shallower, so it's less volume of water to heat overall. So most of the winter fishery that I've had has definitely been in the Blackwater area. And I assume we're going to talk about what we want to use at that time too, right? Yeah, we'll get to that. 
Okay. All right. All right. I'll well, stop there then. No, no, you can't. No, so, so that that's going to be coming up. Now I know okay. I fish down Blackwater in the in the you know the winter time, and I've caught you know I've had like five or six fish days. Nothing, yeah. nothing crazy, but yeah. I I target those you know those very shallow flats. I also yep. look for rocks, you know, because the rocks yeah. warm up and you find the bait in the, you find the bait, you find the fish. So you find the bait, mm-hmm. hug in the rocks. And I usually, I'll just, you know, the winter fishery I found is more of a, a live bait game. Yes. Uh, not exclusively, but more so than any, any other time during the year. And yep. you, you throw one of those big minnows down in the rocks and you'll see bubbles pretty quick if, if they're, if they're active. So, yes. Yes. And, oh, and I guess the other point I would make is you want, if you can fish in the afternoon, that's when you want to fish. Oh, for sure. Because you want that maximum amount of time for that water to warm up. So from right around midday, probably till around five or so, but you're talking about short days at that point. Sure. That's the year. That's the window you really want to aim for. So let's get into what, what you're using. Yes. So uh, the minnow rig is pretty simple. So yeah. I'll, I'll, hit, I'll hit that one first. Uh, from about late November, early December through probably the very beginning of March or late February, that's when you'll see me use live bait. And I, I use the live bait in a, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a special way, but it, it might be, you know, new to some people out there. So I'll lay it out. What I'll, what I'll do is I'll still fish in my kayak. And what I'll do is I'll take one or two rods and I'll put on a minnow, on a bobber and a float with hook, probably about, depending on the water depth, probably between 12 inches down to about 24 inches at most 36 inches. It's pretty shallow water fishing in that area because it's shallow water, right? So I will cast the minnow rig out on either side of me. And then I will take, where's that? I got some lures ready so I could actually show you all, but now I'm looking for my MEPS and I don't see it. Where did it go? But anyway, (laughs) what, what I'll do is I'll take either a MEPS or your swim bait type lures like right here. I got some swim frogs as well. And what I'll do is I'll fan cast and I'm checking on my flows to see if any of them drop. And that way you just keep kind of covering the gamut, right? You're like, you're covering the minnow game, you're covering the lure game and it keeps you occupied because that's the other thing when you're fishing in the winter, you want to stay occupied. You want to bring snacks. You definitely want to be warm. And if you're sitting in a kayak, you should probably have a dry suit like straight up because if you go in the drink, especially if you go in the drink, because you fell, you hit your head, you hurt your arm. It's, it's, I feel like a lot of people, when they think about, well, if I fall in, I'll just get out this way. When you fall in, number one, you're probably disoriented because you don't know what happened. Number two, you could get tangled up in your own gear, your own lines, your anchor line, whatever you happen to have with you. You could hit yourself or hurt yourself in the process of going in the water. So I just want to put that little safety piece out there. If you're out there fishing, you make sure someone knows where you are. Preferably, you're fishing with somebody, right? You have your whistle, you have your phone, and preferably you have a dry suit because I've been in the water in lakes in Colorado that had just iced out. And that's a whole other story where me and my buddies are rescuing some people that were stuck out there. But the short thing I want to get across to you is if you haven't been in water that cold, your body almost immediately can go into almost like a state of shock because like the, the temperature drop is just so extreme take care of yourselves on the water. Okay. Absolutely. That's the point I want to get across to you. But as far as the rigs go, I'll use a one-aught circle hook, usually Gamagatsu. Remember with your circle hooks, if you're not familiar with those, you don't set the hook, you apply pressure and the hook does the work. If you set the hook with a circle hook, you're going to miss a lot of fish. If you, I did, I did it. Okay. I want to be I clear. Too. I, Me too. So apply pressure with your circle hooks, but those one-aught hooks, those one-aught Gamagatsu, 
I rarely, rarely ever miss with those things as long as I'm using them correctly. It's they work excellent. I like right in the corner of the mouth, easy unhook job. And then, excuse me, then like your number three and number four MEP spinners are probably my favorites, but I will throw some swim baits too. Now, do you, I, I, I learned of this tactic that the guys are doing down there with the MEPs and putting the minnows on the back and they say it absolutely <laughs> hammers them. I've never, I, I can't even imagine how that looks natural or how anything, but I guess scent plus, plus flash equals fish. I don't know. Is that something you've tried? That's not something I've tried, dude. It, it's because, uh, I mean, I feel like usually when I hit the point where I'm getting a steady MEPS bite, I usually won't put minnows on it. But the next time that I'm out there in the in like the super cold doing that, definitely sounds like a good proposition, dude, to be quite honest. Because, I kind of want to try it. I mean, what, yeah, what's, as, what's as long hurt? as it's Yeah, exactly. As long as it's not uh, kind of crushing the action of the lure itself or causing you to spin excessively, if you, that's what I guess that's one other tip out there. When I use MEPs, I use them on a swivel because a lot of MEPs or a lot of inline spinners, period, when you're reeling them in can cause a lot of twist in your line. You don't want that. So definitely, if you're going to use that, use a, use a barrel swivel or something to prevent that line twisting. Gotcha. Now, I know, um, obviously, everything slows down tremendously in the wintertime. Yeah. So I, I've, I've caught them in, in the wintertime, like basically slow rolling soft plastics on the bottom. I know I got about two feet of depth. I'm I'm rubbing the belly, uh, I'm rubbing it across their belly and then right in front of their face. Cause they're on, they're sitting on the bottom. They're sitting in the mud there. Yep. Um, now you find that um, on the end of those warming trends, do you find them to be a little bit more aggressive than, than, uh, than that? Maybe you could speed it up a little bit. I, I mean, I will still slow roll my inline spinners or swim baits, whatever I'm using. I might speed it up slightly, but not a lot. I'll put it that way because I mean, that's, I've, I've said this, if you all watch my videos or see my seminars, you've heard me say this before. Number one mistake I always see people make snakehead fishing is they're retrieving it too quickly. And I don't care what lure it is. I don't care if it's a buzz bait, a spinner bait, a topwater frog, a swim bait, a spinner. I don't care what it is. It's the number one mistake I see people make. If you're out there and you're around snakehead and you're not catching them, you should probably slow down your presentation. Uh, like that, that's my number one tip without a doubt now i i've made it pretty well known across the the snakehead boards that my my favorite way to fish for them is going to be subsurface i love catching them you know after getting that that spinnerbait thumping 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 and then bam when a yeah. big fish stops a spinnerbait there is just like holy cow you know it like that water pushes up behind them and they just they just grab onto it and just stop and it's it, there's nothing like it now I haven't had a whole lot of luck fishing that way in the wintertime. I've, my best luck has come with the, you know, the minnows and the, the, the swim baits. Now, what is, obviously you said your preference is to, to do the same, you know, work a swim bait, yeah. things like that. Now, if you had, I don't know, an hour to go out to fish and it's late in the day, what are you, you going to throw minnows probably? Are you still going to work your lures the same way? Or are you just power fishing? If I'm, if I'm going to be in the dead of winter, and this is a, it's funny you ask, this is a conversation we just had over on our Facebook group over at the Legion of Anglers. We were considering the inclusion of live bait in a really early season tournament, you know, for that reason, yes. the bite's tough then. And it's like, as we were floating the idea, like you're going to have those competing ideas. It's like, well, no, it's about the challenge, you know, like lure purist. I'm very sympathetic to that. I also, however, like to catch fish. And I get, I, if I'm lucky, I'm usually getting one time a week that I'm able to fish. 
So when I go out, I want to maximize my chances. It's like, I know some guys who like love to go out in the water. It's like, oh, it's just great to be on the water. And I hear that because I love going to like really secluded locations and getting lost in nature. Totally hear you. However, I like to catch fish. So if me throwing minnows along with lures is going to be my best chance of catching them, please believe I'm going to have my minnows with me. I do it. I do it. I'm I'm guilty because it's fun. Like I've had, I've had days where I've caught in in like the end of April, I've caught 60 plus fish in two hours without ever moving. Like I have three rods set up. I'm just like, boom, boom. I'm not like just me on a bank. Like that kind of chaos is so much fun. One one Creek. I I literally, I'll reel one up, lay it down and have another one over there. It's just nuts. And then the crabs move in and that's over for me. (laughs) Oh, you're done. You're you're done. The crabs get there, dude. Now, would you say your percentage is uh, in the wintertime, would you say you're like 50-50 live bait or maybe 60-40, you know, lures? I, 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 would, I would say like probably 60-40, but it's close to 50-50. Like when I go, when I go fishing, I'm all about preparedness. So even, <laughs> even though I know what I'm probably going to use, please believe I'm going to have the other kinds of gear that I think I might want to use. Sure. Like, well, it could happen. You know, I, I'm that guy who's when I'm packing my gear. But I, I'd say it's probably about between the 60-40 and 50-50 split between live bait and lures. I'm that guy too. I'm the guy that literally my kayak looks like it's mostly underwater because I have so much. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much anymore because I'm like stick thin at this point. But yeah, it's it's like you always want to feel like you have everything you need with you. You want to be like, okay, what's wrong? This isn't working. This always works. I need this, 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 and that. Oh crap! I didn't bring that. You know, it's always like it's such a always second guess. Terrible. It's It's such a terrible feeling when you get out there and you, you reach for something and you're like, oh. Oh, I, I didn't bring it. Like right. uh, I've got. I mean, one day I forgot my lip rippers. Yeah, it, it made for some funny videos because every time I tried to handle a snakehead, you know, chaos would erupt. And you, if you try to hold a snakehead without lip rippers, good luck because their body profile is very long, cylindrical. They exude a ton of slime when they're stressed, and they're explosively powerful, more explosively powerful than any fish I've ever handled in my life. So bring your lip grippers. Make sure that's on your mental and physical checklist when you're packing your stuff. I usually bring two just in case I lose one. You're not the only guy I know who does that. Because <laughs> I've had it happen. I've been on the that. bank and had it happen. So I bring, I had two of them with me on my kayak. I got a little one and a big one. So I, I made sure I, I was well prepared <laughs> there. And I had a big enough net to where they're not jumping out of the net and everything. So I, I overdid it probably, but I, I didn't lose a fish, thankfully. And I was able to get them in the kayak and everything. Do not bring a small net snakehead fishing, folks. No. The guys who have lost some absolutely beautiful gargantuan fish because they didn't have a big enough net. Bring a big net. Well, even me. Uh, one of the one of the double digits the other day that I caught torpedoed, went straight up, rocket yep. going. I was I was okay. I didn't mind. I, I caught it. I knew it was so. But yeah, it's like it's like you 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 think you have them calm down and then you don't have them calm. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. They're, they're no. gonna just do whatever they want. They're, they're biding their time. That, that's what snakehead do. They, they bide their time. They regain their strength and endurance. And as they're doing that, they're looking around and then they're going to erupt. Like it, it, give, give a snakehead enough time. It's going to erupt. It's going to happen. Right. Right. Now we've, we've talked a lot about the, the tournaments and all that kind of stuff. Now you, you, you are one of the, the, the big time tournament anglers. There's you, there's boom. There's a lot of these guys that are doing all the tournaments, you know, yep. for the snakeheads. do you feel like that's bringing more positive, you know, more positive vibes towards the snakehead world? The short answer is yes. And as we continue to build the community and build out these tournaments, I think it'll help even more. 
Yeah, I, I'm. I can't wait to to be be in them with you guys. I don't need. I don't need to win. I just want to be out there with you guys. It, exactly, dude. And that's 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 how it was when we did the tournament down in Virginia. And I mean, that was tough fishing, dude. Like that was legit tough fishing. You know, the winning the winner. You know, Boom won that one. Yeah. He won. He won it with three fish over two days. Three fish measured. You know, and I, I was in second with two fish measured. There's many stories behind you know that whole thing. But anyway, getting back to your to your actual question. The answer is yes, because, you know, you get, once you actually look into something like resource management, especially when it comes to hunting or fishing, what you realize is that one of the ways to preserve a resource is to develop the utility of it and to actually grow the community who's utilizing it. Because then you have a lot of people with a vested interest in making sure that it's managed well. So I know, I know a lot of guys aren't big on tournaments and if you're not, it's no problem, man. You know, some guys aren't, some guys like to fish for fun and that's cool. Uh, me personally, while I'm a very laid back guy, I'm also a very competitive guy. I love to compete. And it's not like I'm out here like, you know, screw you and this. No, that's not what it's about. I just love to compete against other people at their best and to test myself and challenge myself. And after that, after the fact, you go to the bar, you hang out at the award ceremony, you're hanging out with everybody who was out there swapping stories. And it's beautiful, man. You, you know, like it, this species really does bring a lot of people together in some like really kind of great events and great relationships. Absolutely. And there's there's obviously two very distinctive snakehead tournament trails, right? <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> you have the all tournament trails and then you have the ones that you're working through where it's going to be yep. uh, a catch and release trail. Hey, did you yep. find that, that did it did it have this the same kind of uh, effect that you'd hoped that did it have the amount of uh attention that you were hoping for this year and obviously i want to be a part of growing it next year and i can't wait to join you guys because i have so many friends in the snakehead world and a lot of them are on the catch and release side and i i, I enjoy that part of it myself so is there an, an intention to grow the the snakehead tournament trail for the catch and release side of things yes definitely so uh, we first of all say thank you everyone who came out this year because you know it was our first year hosting tournaments and, you know, we're going through, we're learning the app the same time that y'all are learning the app. It's called Fishing Chaos. Great, great tournament app. But we're learning the app as we're going through this. We're learning about setting up our first tournaments. It's all a learning process for us. We're putting this all together. So first and foremost, thanks to everybody who came out and competed, man. We really appreciate it. Because, you know, we can hold tournaments we want to. If y'all ain't interested in coming out, it doesn't really do any good. But what we have going forward for the next year, we're essentially finalizing our 2022 schedule right now. And, you know, we talk with some of the other teams out there. We talk with, you know, Amped Up Fishing and Amped Up Outdoors. We talk with uh, High Octane. There's some other groups out there who are trying to do similar things. And one thing that we're about is, you know, building the community. You know, at the Legion, we call it building the community one cast at a time. And if we're not out there to build community alongside the actual, like, fishery, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like you're out here not just to help fish, not just to help the environment, you're out here to help people. And if we can do that kind of inclusively, bring everybody together, all the better. Because if you are interested in, you know, being an advocate for the species, the nature of, you know, policy, you know, like uh, in my professional life, you know, I got my master's from Hopkins in public management. When you dig into public policy, you begin to understand how important it is have a voting constituency. And that's what Snakehead don't really have yet. And that's why they get demonized and scapegoated at every turn. Because as long as, as long as we can all do the easy thing and point and say, new thing, Snakehead, they're the cause of all of our problems. We don't have to look at 
you know, dilapidated and antiquated water treatment systems that overflow like millions of gallons of raw sewage into our waterways. We don't have to look at habitat destruction. We don't have to look at wetland destruction. We don't have to look at spawning ground destruction, pollution, heavy metals, over harvest. You know, we don't have to look at any of that if we just point to another species and say, ah, they're the problem. You know, it's a, but it's kind of a long tangential thought right there. But when it comes to the tournament, we do have an expanded trail coming out in 2022. So I guess make sure that you follow us over on the Legion of Anglers. We're going to have all those events built out. And brother, I can't wait to have you there, man. I can't wait, man. But I agree with you. It's it's always kick the can down the road and hopes, hope it hope you can distract from one thing to put the put the blame on another thing. You know, it's, yep. it's never like let's let's fix this problem and then see what happens. Let's fix this problem, see what happens. It's always like it's got to be the snakeheads, right? I mean, they're they're they've been here for how long? They, oh, we've had this problem for this period of time. It's got to be snakeheads. Always got to be snakeheads. And it's 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 just it's one of those things where. I, I go, I go to, to go to a type on it and I'm like, ah, it's exactly. It's like, I'm not, even, I'm not even doing it today. I'm not, I'm not getting into it today. Just go ahead. <laughs> now, now you fish more so down like the, the Maryland DC, Virginia mm-hmm. area. Is there any, ever any plans to, to go in some of these other places where they're at? Like maybe Georgia, right? They're down in Georgia or yes. maybe targeting some other snakeheads. You know, we, we, they're up in New York now. Yep. I, have, I have friends that are targeting them up there now that they're sending me pictures and they're so happy because I told them how to do it. And they're like, man, I got one up here. I'm in, you know, I'm in Central Park and I just caught a snake. And I'm like, that's wild, man. That Central Park there, that they're in there. But yeah, I mean, is there plans for you to travel to try and catch them in all the states? Because I, I had that goal initially. And then I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to put it together, but I'd love to get to some of these other states where they're at. too. I've, I've caught them in. I've caught no New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware. I think that's, I've caught them in those four States. I have not been to Virginia to fish for them. I have not gone up to New York to fish for them. I got you. So thus far I've caught them in Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia, but I haven't been to Jersey or PA yet to actually chase them there. Now my buddy, Adam, if, if you know, fellow teammate, Adam, you know, he's actually been up to New York. You know, he was up there uh, fishing with the guy who I think might have caught the first one. I don't, I don't quote me on that. I'm not sure if that was the first one caught or not, but I know that he was up there with him. And on my bucket list is something that I refer to as the Snakehead World Tour. Because as I began researching the species, I found out there's about 46 species of snakehead worldwide. So they're mostly native to, you know, Southeast Asia, but you also have them in Africa. You know, it's wild how many species are out there, even in the United States, like up here, you have the northern snakehead. In Florida, you have the bullseye. And then out in Hawaii, you have the blotched and the striped. Now, one of those is only raised in captivity for the purpose of aquaculture, but they are both out there. So there's four species within the United States, but worldwide, there's 46. So you have the emperor snakehead, you have the giant snakehead, you have all the, you have all these other species of snakehead around the world. It's on my bucket list to actually get out there and catch them all from the micro size, all the way, all the way to the big ones. That being said, you know, my wife is currently an MD PhD student. (laughs) I have three kids. I don't don't have the money to go globe trotting just yet, but it's on my list. It's definitely on my list, dude. Well, I'd love to host you to, to knock PA and Jersey out because I have all those spots. I know them all. So, and Roger, I'd love to have you up here now. So we're going to get into a couple more things about, you know, we, we've had a lot of these conversations about what 
what distinguishes a nice fish to a dragon and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I've, I've been trying to change your mind because I, I have a, I have a different opinion of this. You know, my, my yeah. largest snakehead is 13 pounds, four ounces. Um, and I don't, I don't consider it a dragon. I like to make my, my whole argument behind that is that you know, I want it to be a special fish. And I, I, I mean, if I'm catching three double digit fish in the day, is that, is that truly special? Eh, I thought it was special, but is it, is it like, a, I look at, you know, a, a dragon as maybe a fish of a lifetime. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that 15 pound plus mark is what I would consider a dragon. Have I, have I swayed you on that yet? What do you think? I, honestly, dude, I'm mostly there, but, but, but again, with most things here, here's where it gets a little more nuanced and I'll, I'll put my caveats out there. So we actually had a discussion on this um, because we have seen, and I forget where it was now. It, it, it's a, it's a report. So it's anecdotal. You know, I haven't like gone and confirmed like this in the records, but reports are, and there was a picture of it and everything else that someone did manage to catch a Northern that was a hair over 40 inches. Right. In my head, I'm like, well, if we're going to have a 40-inch plus snakehead, we have to have a new name for this, right? So we did a poll when they had all these different options up there. I think what we landed on was Chanaconda, you, you know? So that's we, great. We were like, oh, like, you know, it's like a Godzilla snakehead or all, all this other stuff. What constitutes a dragon? So in most of the snakehead community, if y'all don't know, what what generally constitutes a dragon? Some people will say dragon no matter what. They catch, yeah. a, catch a snakehead and they call it a dragon. Uh, for the guys who have been in there for a while, most people would accept either 30 inches, 10 pounds, or a combination of both to call it a dragon. Now, have I caught many of those fish and called it a dragon? Yes, I have. But do I also agree with Dan that a truly special snakehead is in the 15 plus category? Yes, because I, I mean, like all the snakehead fishing I've done, I've only landed two that were in that class, like 15, 16 pounders. And the thing, like, I guess the way I'll put it is this. When you're catching snakehead up to about like maybe 10 pounds, 11 pounds, you feel like you're in the driver's seat. When you catch them up around 13, 14, 15 <laughs> pounds, you realize how little you're actually in control. Yeah, you're just hoping, you're hoping for the best. <laughs> you're hoping the hooks don't break because I've seen that. You're hoping the line doesn't break. You're hoping the rod doesn't break because snakehead break a lot of rods. You're, you're just hanging on for dear life, doing everything you can in your panicked state to make sure you actually land this fish of a lifetime. And don't get me wrong, I love it, but it's definitely a, a huge, you know, stressful ordeal. So... I mean, I agree with you that the 15s and the 15 plus, that's a really special fish. And it's like, on the one hand, I'm not, I'm not opposed to reserving that, that size class and that title as the true dragon. On the other hand, if I, ca if I catch, you know, a 10 plus and I put it on social media, am I probably going to call it a dragon class fish? Yeah, I probably will. <laughs> okay. Hey, listen, it, it, can be, it can be whatever it is for anybody. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I think once you get into like the special classifications of fish, it should be a fish of a lifetime. I don't like watered down mm -hmm. achievements. I like, like, listen, I've been doing this for what? I probably eight or nine years now. And yep. I haven't caught a fish over 15 pounds and I've probably caught three, 4,000 snakeheads. I mean, I, yep. I, I, I don't have a number, but I've had summers where I've caught, had 40 fish days day after day, after day, after day. 
I, I don't yep. keep track of exact numbers. I used to. I used to keep a spreadsheet that had yep. where I caught it, <laughs> you know, what I caught it on, conditions, whether it was sunny, whether you know. I used to do that, and it, it got to be overwhelming. So, it, it's a lot to keep up with, yeah. dude. So now, it's just I, I I look at you know I look at like you know flounder, ten pound fish, thirty inch fish is a doormat. You know, a striper, yep. a cow would be what a forty inch fish um, or above, I think. Um, redfish yeah. a bull redfish 40 inches above so i those are special fish to me i hate i just hate watered down achievements and i'm not i'm not coming at you i promise you that no, no, have, no, no. you have some of those dragons under your belt i want one yeah. and i think yeah. i think for me it's going to have to come on a kayak because i they're going to be in waters that i can't reach from the side of the road so that is part of the reason why i got out there just to, to test my my metal a little bit and it went well now i will say like you said like hooks and everything I used to fish subsurface for them with the Terminator spinnerbaits, which are overbuilt spinnerbaits. They're, mm -hmm. they're pretty well built for a, a commercially built spinnerbait. And I had some of those break right in half on 10 pound fish. So yeah. when Trunk came out with his spinnerbaits with the American Snakehead Customs, like those things are bulletproof. And yeah. it, it, it makes me feel more confident chasing, you know, a, a fish of that caliber with my gear. Obviously, I got to have my knots on point. I got to have everything perfect. Like it literally, you could have everything perfect and you still don't, don't seal the deal. But as long as it's on me and not, not my gear, I, I can handle that. Exactly, dude. Exactly. Now, now we're going to wrap up. What is your largest snakehead you've caught in the fall winter time? In the fall winter time, I think my biggest is about 14 and a half, but it was a special fish because it was 14 and a half pounds and it was only 32 inches long. Wow. Which, which that, that's a heavy, like, it's funny with, if y'all don't know out there, like with snakehead, you catch a 30 inch snakehead, it might weigh eight or nine pounds, or it might weigh 10 or 12 pounds. Right. You, you know, there's a lot of variation in like the size of the head, the thickness of the body. But this one particular fish was literally just barely 32 inches, 14 and a half pounds, fattest, thickest fish. Or, yeah. Yeah. I've ever caught for its size as far as snakehead. It was insane how thick that fish was. Yeah, I had um, I had a winter fish from Blackwater that was 28 inches, but it was just at like 10.1 pounds. And, yep. and everybody was like, oh, your 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 grippers off your grippers off. So I went home with the gripper and put a 10 pound weight on. It. I'm like, there you go, guys. Not off. Yep. Good. Eat it. Yeah. So it's just like, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 wild how you can have such a variation of like like, for example, my my 13.4 pound fish was like just around 34 inches. Mm -hmm. Whereas you said yours was 32 inches for 14 pounds. So there, there you go. That kind of gives you some variation. I had um, one, one of those double digits. I had the 12 pounder was actually shorter in length than the 10 pounder. Yep. So the 12 pounder was like 32 inches. I had a, I had a 10 pounder. It was just a touch over that. It was a little skinnier. When you get those thick ones, for y'all folks out there, when you get those thick ones, those really big ones, watch their heads when they clamp down. Like when you're trying to take them off the hook, like their heads double in size yes. because their jaw muscles are just so massive. It's, it, it's so cool when you catch one that big. It, they're yeah, so it, it just makes you want to go more. Like when yeah. I, 
I, yeah, it does. I, I paddled back through lily pads in the dark because I was so obsessed with trying to get another one. <laughs> yep. I've like, been there. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like trudging through. I'm like, Jesus, what did I, what did I get myself into? And, and these days, you know, with my, with what I'm dealing with, it's, it's really hard to, to spend those kind of days like that trudging, but it, it was so worth it. I got off the water. I actually had a, a guy that, that walked up to me. He goes, Hey, you're one of those tide chasers guy. He helped me put my kayak on the roof. Yeah, there you go. It was amazing. <laughs> Great. But he, he follows me on Instagram. And he, he actually gave me a hand to help me put my kayak on the roof in the pitch back dark. And he saw the fish and he was like, my God, he goes, I haven't seen anything like that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I had a couple more that were bigger than that, that I like. <laughs> it was just wild. I, I owed, I owed a friend some snakehead fillets. So I, I was so slow that I said, Hey, I'm going to, the first one I put, I get, I'm going to put it on the stringer and it happened to be like an eight pound fish. And then I caught two more double digits. I'm like, I'm stopping there. I can't do this. I can't do anymore, but he's thrilled. And I I've never harvested a, a double digit fish before. So I felt kind of bad, but you know, it is what it is, but yeah, man, it's, 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 it's truly there, there's nothing like catching those big fish. It's so, so different than the smaller ones. It, it really is exhilarating. Your heart gets pumping, like to catch yeah. three of them in 10 minutes. I, I didn't even come down from the high from the first one, let alone the next one. I was talking to a buddy who was fishing the Virginia tournaments, quick story, but I, I got to tell it because it was just so insane. He was fishing out there and he was fishing in some thick grass near uh, some spatter dock, which is similar, similar to like a pad type mm -hmm. station, but it comes out of the water. And he's working to buy this little pocket right next to it. And this fish sharks it, annihilates it. He went to pull it in. And this, this reel has 30 pounds of drag on it. And he couldn't move the fish. The kayak just started moving to the fish. So he gets right up to this fish after fighting it out. And this thing, and th my buddy, Andrew, he's 6'6". He says it was every bit as long as his leg. He estimates it was probably just over 20 pounds. He had a thing fought out. He had his net ready. He went to get it, one last head shake, literally broke the hook in half, and that was it. Oh. The fish was gone. And he, like, he, like when, I, when I talked to him, I was, that's back when I was at Highmark Brewery at the award ceremony after the tournament. He was still shaking after I talked to him. He said he, said he stopped fishing for like two hours. But the reason I tell that story is just because we're talking about catching these big snakehead. When I tell you that you really need to have your gear on point to handle these big snakehead, I mean it. I'm not just here to like sell you gear. And it's true. Like American snakehead customs, they build their stuff extra strong to withstand snakehead. Make sure you have, if you want to be able to land those big fish, make sure you have some strong gear because snakehead don't pull like a redfish or something like that. They're explosively powerful, massive head shakes and they'll jump and they'll roll too. Don't get me wrong. Their aerial acrobatics are exquisite. They're beautiful. But the thing that they do really well is a full body head shake. And when they exert all that power, you better have the gear to be able to handle it. You better. Oh, yeah. And even if you have the gear to handle, it may not be good enough. I, yeah. I, I snapped so, so, it. Sometimes things just happen and that's yeah. it. And it hurts. But yeah. at, least then, at least then you know you do everything. You did everything you could. Yeah. I had a, I had a, a big snakehead snap my Shimano Zodius right in half. And that's, yep. a, that's a pretty quality rod. I mean, that's not a, that's yep. not a, that's not a bad rod. And I, 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 I looked at it. I didn't have another rod with me. I packed in the car and just drove off. It was like 20 minutes into fishing. I drove an hour and 20 minutes to fish, broke it in half. And I just like, all right, I guess I'm going home now. You know, it's like I was talking to Boom out and he had broken a rod during the last tournament we fished. And I'm like, how many rods have you gone through this year? And I was like, I probably broken about, I think, I think he said like five or six rods on snakehead this year. And I, and I mean, I haven't broken that many, but 
I got a lot of buddies who've broken up. I've seen people break break rods on the hook set, break rods fighting them in. I'm, I love the challenge, dude. They're such fun fish. And, and, and boom for for a second. I got I got to give that guy so much credit, man. I remember dude. when he started. Like he would come, he would he would like ask for advice. You know, I remember he would build some of his uh, his his lures that he's like making his own lures and everything to try and target him. And he was so enthusiastic. And then oh. he was he was he was so like ready to get out there. He would he would send messages to to Trung and me myself, and we would talk about it. And he he was so excited. And then man, dude, that kid. He took the he took it and ran with it, and he's probably one of the best ones out there now. He's probably a hundred percent. It kind of makes me proud to see it because I watched him grow from the very beginning to what he is now, and it's just that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of advocate we need for the sport. That guy, boom, yourself. Exactly. You know, yeah. th those are the guys that that are making a difference for the snakeheads, and I, I love it. I love it. So, well, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, my friend. Why don't you uh, why don't you plug uh, plug your your pro staff gear, your tournament trails and um, and your your social media, if you would. Will do. All right. So the first thing I'll hit is social media, because that way, whatever I put out, whether it be lures, tournaments, whatever it is, you'll know exactly where to look. So first things first, Cambo Trout Fishing on YouTube, Cambo Trout, K-A-M-B-O Trout Fishing on YouTube. That's my primary place where I live. And that's where I put out all my videos and from there, the next couple of places I'll tell you to follow would probably be Cambo Trout on Facebook, but also the Legion of Anglers on Facebook. Uh, me, several guys who are also very big snakehead anglers, but also were into reds and catfish and sea trout and striper, pretty much anything that swims out there. Our guys love catching flatheads, blue cats, all that. Check out Legion of Anglers on Facebook. That's who actually, that's the organization who we are. We all come together, a bunch of creators, you know, infamous fishing, my buddy Rashawn. Tommy Tech Outdoors, you know, we got a bunch of guys. That's where we host our tournaments. That's where you can find all the event schedules, right? So make sure you're following Legion of Anglers on Facebook. Now, as far as all of our different pro staff out there, I do want to give a shout out to Caddy Lynn Rods. Oh, I'm knocking stuff down over here trying to show you rods. <laughs> Caddy Lynn Rods, that's what I pr throw primarily. They have the backbone that you really need to be able to handle these fish. From there, we have American Snakehead Customs. We, we mentioned Trong out there. He has some great buzz baits and spinner baits. That's what I throw primarily from American Snakehead Customs, and I love them both. We have Acor. If you follow me at all, you're probably familiar with Acor. The thing I love about Acor, I mean, aside from just being a great frog, the hookup ratio on these things is superb. And when you're dealing with topwater frogs, that's one of the things, topwater mice, any kind of topwater hollow body, one of the things you really got to look for is the hookup ratio and how much you have to fine tune those hooks to make that hookup ratio happen. So Acor is another really big one out there for us. Uh, see who else we got. We got TRC rod covers. We got Mega Frocks. Uh, Mega Frocks I've really been getting into this year. This is their Goliath buzz bait. I also throw off several different more of their lures over there. We have Real All-American Fishing, which is one of our teammates. And I love his kicker frogs when it comes to like, it's my new favorite swim bait. I mean, I've always been partial to my Mega Bass Spark Chad, but I'm telling you, these kicker curly tail frogs that he makes, absolute fire, especially when I'm over there in the Blackwater area. And who am I missing? Who am I missing? I know I'm missing at least a couple, but I think that hits most of our sponsors. <laughs> Not quite. <all. laughs> well, Steve, oh, it's, let's rewind for a second because you mentioned Rashawn. Yeah. My man just recently got an official dragon in my book. 
London. Yes, he what was it? 17, uh, 17 about 17 and a half, dude. And he got that one. I want to say he got that one on the Blade Waker. If y'all are not familiar with the Blade Waker, it's similar to a chatterbait. It's made by Tekel. But what this does is instead of running at the depths that normal chatterbaits do, Blade Wakers run essentially immediately subsurface. Like almost, you can almost think about their depth as similar to a wake bait. Only, you know, if you stop reeling it, it's going to sink. It's not going to float or anything like that. But the Blade Waker for like kind of early sprouting vegetation, like the spatter dock, the pad fields, or the water where you have like a thick grass and then a few inches on top, it's killer. It's an absolutely killer lure. Definitely check it out. I'm, I'm going to have to get one of those. I don't have anything like that. And I, I, my favorite time to fish for snakeheads is in the early, like the spring when they first start. And I'll have some big days. And I'll, I have a spot where I actually have schools of them will chase the spinnerbait in. Like you'll see six, seven of them at a time just chasing the spinnerbait in. It's wild. It's pretty cool to see. I'll have to get it on video sometime and show that to you. All right, my man. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining me. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I can't wait to get down there and have you up here with me and see some of our world up here. Absolutely, dude. I was saying before, if you got five or six of them chasing your lure at the same time, we're going to have to link up. I got to come check that out. Man. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it happens. I promise you. It's, it's the craziest. It's only one spot I've ever seen it. Yeah, dude, I'm ready. Oh, I did one more sponsor I did forget, and y'all are going to see it in my video soon, Livingston Lures. I actually have a, an inline musky spinner that I got from Livingston. And as soon as this grass clears out a little bit more, I think I'm going to throw it for snakehead and see if I can catch one like Rashawn just caught, that 17 to 18 pound class fish. We'll see how it goes there. Livingston is excellent, excellent lures. We'll see what happens. All right, my man. I'm going to stay on and wrap up. Thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure, brother. Thanks again for the invite, dude. Thank you. All right, take it easy, man. You too, brother. All right, everybody. That was Stephen Camboris. He's a friend of mine. We've we've communicated for quite some time. He is the science behind the, the snakeheads. If you're looking to get some more information regarding snakeheads, he's a good guy to follow. Um, whether you're on the side of the fence where you want to harvest all of them or you want to just catch and release or you're somewhere in the middle, he's a great follow because you will learn a lot from him. I've learned a lot from myself and I started snakehead fishing before him. So he is, he's someone I rely on to, to get some good information regarding the snakeheads. Once again, we always, always, always thank you all for joining us and tuning in. It's been a pleasure doing these with you. Um, you know, snakeheads is one of those, those uh, very controversial fish that, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there and a lot of them aren't good, but with like, like Steve and I were talking about these new, new uh, age anglers there's a lot more awareness to to uh, the fishery and there's a lot more people that are open-minded to see how this thing plays out it may turn out like like steve said it may turn out where this is going to be a big problem down the road we don't know that yet but we're hopeful that you know they find their niche and find their home within the fisheries and we can continue to target them and and uh, not be demonized for letting them go and such so once again, thank you for tuning in. It was a pleasure. Uh, Qua will be back in the mix next week. But until then, thank you for tuning in. Again, you can find us at Tide underscore Chasers at Instagram. We're also on Facebook, Tide Chasers Podcast. You can find us on the various podcast platforms. We're on Apple. We're on Pandora. We're on all of them. Um, I have it in the bio on Instagram, also on Facebook. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
We look forward to bringing you some more excellent content. And if you have any suggestions on potential guests, or if you want to be a potential guest, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're always looking for people that want to chat fishing. And these are the kind of people we like to talk to, people that are well, well respected in the community and can offer our listeners some more information regarding these fisheries that are in our backyard. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tight lines, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.